This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Push, 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 push. Step, step, step. Crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith a podcast that engages faith on the margins, faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, 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 hi, ho. How y'all doing out there? All right, fam, here we are. Ooh, middle of the summer, too. Oh, my goodness. I should probably be on break, right? Soon, 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 soon. It's coming, and we're going to take a little break here. Um, but I got some great episodes. I've been having some great episodes. Uh, so, yeah, got to gotta gotta get them out you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying um well if you're just joining us thank you welcome to profane faith good to have you uh we just finished up a uh, four-part series the last two weeks on the fallout of roe v wade um some amazing voices and uh, if you haven't heard it highly recommend going back and listening to that uh on whatever platform or whatever um, wherever you find your podcasts or wherever you're finding me right now on Profane Faith, um, to go back and check those out because those there was some good, really good material there and just some really good input and thought uh, process. Um, we try to deconstruct some of the main arguments from the right um, uh, or just, you know, just ideology around um you know the idea of abortions any you know anyway so um yeah i definitely recommend going back and checking those out and seeing exactly um what those folks had to say so uh yeah check it out and i'm sure you just heard the new um uh the new group collective however you want to put it uh that uh profane faith is a part of daunt dauntless media collective podcast for evangelicals and other cult survivors um yeah man you know this is uh much like uh at different places and like prison right you gotta click up with somebody out here in this podcast land otherwise you know you uh you out there on your own and so i i uh big shout out to scott akimoto uh and uh, i've had him on before and he he is the one who recommended me to dauntless he's also a part of it as well uh, his um, podcast is amazing. If you haven't heard it, I highly recommend it. I got to get him back on because, well, his is called uh, Chapel Probation. And uh, I love it because he is like going in uh, on like, well, the first school he was looking at was Azusa Pacific University, APU, uh, which I, you know, I taught there for seven years. And that's how I actually met Scott 
Um, and uh, he, so he's talking about all the bullshit that POC folks uh, had to go through. So he's interviewed me, students, uh, former staff, uh, and it is deep, fam. It's deep. And I just uh, heard a new one that he just released. And then now, now they're talking about Biola out in Southern California. So I'm just, I'm all for it, putting all this shit on blast, man. Because my time at, his, at APU was fucked, man. Um, <laughs> it really was. And, uh, you know, I, it was just seven years of, um, it just seven years of just crazy ass shit of whiteness. Like even before, you know, Trump, it was like having a Trump person in the classroom, at least one, every goddamn class, right? <laughs> um, you know, every semester. So anyways, you got to go check it out. Chapel probation, big shout out. Um, and you know, cause out here in this podcast world, like I said, you got to click up and it's important that we support other POC centered, um, podcasts and, uh, folks doing good work. And so I'm, I'm excited to be a part of this media collective. Uh, you know, their, their description, adult, daunt, uh, dauntless, excuse me. I was about to say Dante, Dauntless Media Collective publishes podcast whose goal is to see the decolonization and deconstruction of conservative Christian beliefs and systems, particularly those found within evangelicalism and fundamentalist Christianity. I mean, hello, <laughs> hello, that is that is all of this shit, man. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm always here and around to put uh, you know all these systems on blast to begin with. And so I was very thankful and excited to be a part of this group. Um, Y'all also hear some some ads as well. So, you know, there'll be some little some, little, some adding things. I, I'm going I'm to sound more professional up in this moment. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah, man, make it sound like the uh, the gold standard NPR up in here, man. So uh, there's a few other podcasts on there, Leaving the Village, uh, Full Mutuality, the podcast. So uh, you'll be hearing commercials from there. So always stay tuned at the end of episodes. You'll be hearing some different commercials. My, my, I'm actually, I also got a commercial on other people's podcasts. So it's like a network of folks who are supporting each other. Um, and I, I couldn't be more excited. This is this is uh, this is great. They uh, these are other podcasts as well that you know they share stories of abuse and recovery process. Uh, you know, sharing on trauma and healing. Um, I'm. Again, this is like, you know, profane faith. I mean, the whole reason I started. In fact, this uh, here in a few weeks, it's going to be five years officially that I've had this podcast going. And um, that's that is that is a whole whole one of the whole reasons I got got into this thing is because uh, I wanted to talk about that process. I want to talk about my own deconstruction process. Um, and, you know, I feel like. What's funny, this so this last week my my kiddo was out, she was out at a uh, camp and uh so the missus and I had a a whole week to ourselves to hang out and uh, but we really just took like I think like Thursday through Sunday to hang out. And uh, one of the things cuz I'm always like, you know, when I have a conversation with my therapist, I'm always just like, I can't believe that I'm still feeling this way. Why is it that I just wanted to sit on the couch and not move? <laughs> right for the whole day you know and for those of you who know me you know i've been going through like a serious writer's block um over the last well really since the pandemic started uh so yeah going on now almost three years and um i'm just wondering so em and i decided to write down a chronicalized list of all the shit we have been through over the last uh 
Whoo! What are we? Uh, we've been together 22 years. Um, and it's it it was both therapeutic and kind of shocking. And we listed out kind of the the major trauma points, uh, you know, uh, of of our of our marriage, of our time together. And it is a lot of shit, fam. Um, yeah, I I can't even. Uh, yeah, I I'm just kind of bewildered um by that and uh you know we try to put it in a timeline and order and set things up um and really i feel like when we first started out this whole we didn't even have the words for it like deconstruction process you know that's that's relatively new when we left there was no social media there was no nothing there was just no, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, well, Facebook, I don't think even was even started. Facebook got came up, what, 05, 06? This was, we was even before that. And so people leaving churches, people leave. I mean, you really do leave in a bewilderment. It's a mind fuck. And it is a, a, a sense in a place of like, wow, did that really happen? Like, did this really go down? Like, you know, with these motherfuckers, right? And so uh just listing it out um and i know i need to do an episode on just that like leaving a particular organization i don't know if we talk enough about that like what is the process what leads up to you leaving a place um especially see and i had a partner to do it with and i'm very thankful uh that she and i were able to walk through this process together um, that's not always the case, especially in a tight knit community, right? Um, one of the, you know, one of the, the partners can go one way or another. They can dig their feet in and be like, Hey, you just, you just fucking up, right? You just need the power of God in your life. And, um, you know, so I'm very thankful that in that process, Emily came along. I came along with her. I listened to her and her needs, especially when we first got married, and I was really connected with my community, um, you know, uh, my my religious community. Um, you know, that it's traumatizing, fam. It's traumatizing. If you've never left, it's hard to explain. If you've left, you already know. You already know. To leave a community that you thought was the faith community, you know, now you're getting all these different theological messages about this. And I, you know, I, as y'all know, I came out of a black Seventh-day Adventist uh, connection. So there was all kind of crazy, you know, <laughs> um, theological connotations and ideologies that were being thrown my way. So it was very much so a mind fuck. And so, yeah, back when we started, it was, there was none of this podcasts were just something that I, you know, you hear, well, and, and well, and if you think about it, I mean, you know, uh, iTunes podcast and all that shit, Spotify, none of that shit existed back then. Um, and you know, there was no real way to really have conversations. So you'd literally be out in the wilderness and maybe run across somebody else who had left an organization, uh, you know, or maybe run into somebody at a conference that is just, you know, thinking the same thing, but it was always hush, hush. Now I feel like it's just like the thing, right? It's just the norm, like leave and share your story, leave loud and all that shit. And I'm all for it. 
but that was not the shit 22 years ago and damn sure for folks like had to leave even longer like you know 30 years ago that shit took some real fucking courage um and uh, i think we need to have more conversations around that so anyways um yeah emily and i just had a really good time just talking through that and just adding stuff to it you know we i put it into a note in my little iphone and uh, we shared the note and so we can both add to it and it's just amazing because so oftentimes i get into conversations with my therapist and he'll be like yeah but you know you remember you went through this trauma and you remember through that you know and i don't know if you've completely you know uh, you know healed from that and so maybe this is some of that residue still lit you know uh, uh um you know still hanging over and i'm like wow and sometimes you just it just it's easy to forget it's easy to forget the shit that you've been through fam um and so i was just <clears throat> excuse me um goddamn allergies uh, um i was just floored by you know being able to see those things and sometimes just the visual of seeing what has happened uh is a powerful thing so um more to come on that more to come because i think uh, it's when i think about leaving church i mean now it's like no thing like oh, of course i'm not gonna be nobody you know damn organization but man, when you come up in it and you've done work and, and your livelihood is connected to it, whoo, fam, you know, and the spiritual abuse that goes in with that, again, it's one huge mind fuck and, and, and not in the right way. <laughs> it's, it's like, whoa, this is some shit right now. Um, so anyways, this is, that kind of leads into uh, my guests today um i am excited uh i've known brandon for a while i don't even know when we met it was one of those cats that i've just known for a long time and uh brandon wrencher and vanika samantha williams uh they put together edited a book um called liberating church a 21st century hush harbor manifesto and they're going to define hush harbor that's a key word those of you as a teacher, I'm saying that's look for that in the, uh, if you don't know what Hush Harbor, you may already know, you know, you may have studied your history and you know what Hush Harbor is, uh, but they're going to break that down and how that connects. Um, this, uh, this is a very interesting and solid dense book. They cover a lot of ground in very short pages. I mean, the book, the total book length here, here, I'm pulling it up right now. It is. 116 pages and that's with the bibliography and for further reading and resources so it's not like this 900 page theological canon right where the first 200 pages are is the author arguing against their own position and then the next 400 pages of that is them describing a new position no 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 no, no. this is a really really good it is what it is it's a manifesto uh and there's different voices uh in there breaking breaking a lot of shit down i don't want to give away the pie and the cake uh and um i think uh we need more material like this this is also part of the voices project uh, some of y'all may be a part of that listening to this. Uh, I believe uh, brother Leroy Barber was a part of that and getting that together. I, again, I wish something like this had existed when I was a young author and, and aspiring author. It's uh, The Voices, it's a project that gathers like leaders of color who influence culture, right? The church, education, the arts, politics, the media. 
four important conversation challenges and triumphs um, within communities of color and roles as cultural influences. And so uh, it's based out of Portland, Oregon. You can check them out. Uh, Twitter on Twitter. This join the voices. Uh, I'll put some links in the show notes for that. Um, but uh, again, stuff that I wish that was around that I'm glad is around now. Uh, back when I was starting out, I feel like I missed out on so many <laughs> so many things man um that are good and that are around now but that's that's good that's that's part of right that's part of what happens right you know that that whole thing uh nevertheless this uh you know this 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 book uh, you know breaks it down uh into different chapters into different areas and so i was like all right brandon reached out and i was like absolutely we gotta we gotta have uh, we gotta have this this conversation, and uh, one of the other uh, co-authors of one of the chapters also joins us. Terrence Hawkins, his chapter is called "Stay Woke," um, and uh, he's also in on the conversation in regards to what this book is about, what its connection is to where we find ourselves as a society right now, and uh, just how taking this and and looking at things helps us gives us hope and moves us forward huh how about that don't be telling me i don't be giving y'all hope <laughs> help in here i'm not just uh you know i'm not i consider myself like the black eeyore you know what i'm saying um and so uh, for those of you that winnie the pooh reference and stuff those of you old enough to remember who winnie the pooh was uh but you know this is this is this this is some of the the, the hope that's out there so enjoy this conversation um uh because these cats are putting some together some good material all right all right fam let's keep it out there stay safe stay well and uh at the end of this conversation stay tuned for a little you know a little something something little something something uh podcast show that's out there also doing some good stuff all right fam peace um well uh welcome to profane faith i'm excited to get into this conversation about this new book liberating church a 21st century hush harbor manifesto um yeah how did this come about uh i don't know who wants to take that first but it's put out by cascade books i'm glad to see that and the voices uh is that something leroy barber was putting together i know there's other people involved too but is that the one same one that he was doing exactly yep okay Okay. So what was the genesis behind this text and just especially was where we find ourselves as a country <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, right yeah, thanks now? Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. I, um, yeah, the genesis is, um, because this is a profane faith, Dr. D, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take privilege to say that I can cuss on this thing, you right? Do whatever you want. Go on, man. Use that strong language. Come on now. <laughs> um, you know, for a lot of people, the church just, just ain't it. Um, and, uh, you know, all of the, um, there's lots of, there's lots of things that folks have to say about why church is not relevant, is not real, um, it's not radical enough, um, in the times that we live in. Um, and so, you know, I was having a lot of conversations with clergy college, clergy activist friends, um, both my 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 comrades here on the call here, um, and just trying to ask the question like, how can we both be um, showing up for justice in the streets with the movement for Black Lives and other issues 
and uh, campaigns and movements in our local community um, and continue to represent the, the church when the church is being called um, into question for its relevance and whether it's real and whether it's radical enough in these times. And so that's kind of the, those are the, some of the questions that we were grappling with in conversation. Uh, we decided to, um, rather than try to come up with, you know, come out of thin air, some sort of response to the questions that we were asking each other and that the community was asking uh, us, we said, you know, like we are, we are black people and black people um, look back at our history to, to, to sort of mine the treasure trolls of our history for solutions for the future. And so we begin to look back at other times in, in uh, black people's history in particular um, in uh, U.S. history to see where were there times when the church um, equaled the movement for justice. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, we went to some of the usual sort of places like the civil rights movement. Um, but what was challenging about the civil rights movement was some of the very critiques that you saw amongst clergy activists during that day from like Dr. King in his letter from a Birmingham jail, when he talks about uh, the church's commitment to being moderate and being respectable more than being revolutionary. And so we were like, you know, like maybe, maybe there's another place in our history to turn to look for um, inspiration and a model. And we turn to the hush harbors, these and the hush harbors for folks who are not, are not familiar with it. The hush harbors were these secret gatherings of enslaved Africans um, during the pre-Civil War time where enslaved Africans would gather to mix together their African traditional religions and um, a prophetic revolutionary liberation oriented interpretation of, of Christianity. And they would also strategize and plot for the kind of organizing they needed to do to dismantle the chattel slavery system. And so that's an example of a model of church that was radical and revolutionary and relevant um, and real for black people and their allies and comrades and conspirators to make change both personally and to make real change in, in the world. Mm. Wow. I, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up that hush harbors. I think um, I used to, I had the, the privilege and honor of teaching a, a class this many years back, I, but I've, I've always tried to keep the material from it. it was African-American history from 1600. It was two, two parts to it. One in the fall, one in the spring from basically 1600 all the way to um, the current, you know, era that we, that we were finding ourselves in. And um, that was, you know, that was, that was part of what, you know, that, that I talked about in terms of just that, those spaces and places and whatnot. So I'm glad y'all brought that up and, you know, and, and are engaging with that. And I like where y'all go with that in, in the book. I will get to that here in a second and whatnot. Uh, Vinique, yeah, can you uh, share a little bit just in your perspective, you coming to this and, and then Terrence, I'll get to you. Yes, again, thank you for having us. So the church, as Brandon says, is currently and historically has been a site where um, they could always do a little bit better. <laughs> and we haven't, uh, we haven't seen in, in recent years, people taking it as seriously, the times that we're in, it's become uh, sort of gimmicky. Uh, some people can get put on, get the book deals. <laughs> Do, I mean, even for us, we weren't planning on doing a book, so this ain't a come up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but to truly speak something truthfully, radically, um, that might cost you a costly faith, um, a true lived faith. Um, that's not something that um, I had seen coming from seminary when I first became a part of Liberating Church Project. And so being involved in this project really helped um, sure up my faith that there were people who were asking these questions, who were doing this work, who were considering um, how we might actually live, uh, seek the well-being of the cities that we're in, and seek to see uh, the kingdom of heaven come and be here on earth. Mm. All right. All right. Hey, I, I am absolutely with that. That is who there's so much of that when I think about just where we're at and where we're going in terms of, uh, uh, you know, just in, in terms of how religion is used to to really scorn uh, folks. So that's good. And what and, and in terms of seminary and whatnot, I'd be curious, like, where did you go? How did that help inform you in terms of an author or not? Uh, you know, I, I I don't want to make that presumption either. Ooh, I don't believe in giving them any sort of <laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> the interwebs. Yes. Yeah, the interwebs might tell you where I went, but aye, no. aye. yeah, I got but you. The way that it shaped me was um, I went to a conservative seminary against mm. my better judgment, and it shaped me um, in ways where. <sighs> I needed to know what the answers or what the questions were against me um, in order to say what I truly believed. And so I could have gone to a more affirming seminary, places where um, I was already hearing the things that I thought to be true. But being in that space truly challenged me to say, nah, that ain't it. So what is it (laughs) actually? What is it actually? No, absolutely. Well, and I've heard this a lot from particularly black POC, BIPOC folk who have gone, especially even just within the last 10 years, uh, but especially in the last five or six years, folks have been like, yo, man, these places is is uh, crazy. And if I had to go back now, I definitely would not choose anything uh that had anything remotely close to in connected to to evangelicalism. But that's a that's a difficult thing to do. I mean, since so much of right christian education is is still wrapped up right with you know cishet white males so true and so in working um on this project and doing this work decentering uh the folks that would often center themselves um was the most beautiful thing saying the margins from margin to center um and doing the work of amplifying uh amplifying the voiceless giving them the megaphone and saying what is it that you have to say to us has been the most beautiful part of this yeah i like that i like that that's what's up that's what's up and 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 i add like one thing to that i love what like where this is going like it, it was also a way of saying like like in one way we are the like the 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 prophetic, um, radical black church um, that's not defined by buildings or, you know, titles or, or cash or that sort of thing. Um, not, uh, you know, like on the one hand, it's like it's, it is on the margins. And on the other hand, like part of what we call in the question in this book is like, um, is it the margins? Like, is it actually that like this is actually the faith that actually can set all of us free? You know, mm. like, yeah, because you know, there's one way to look at the margins that says that's just for black people or that's just for that's just for oppressed people. But here is the sort of universal 
church or the universal Christianity. And part of what we're saying is like, no, actually, you, you don't have a faithful witness to Christ, a faithful witness to the Jesus tradition without looking um, looking at and centering this tradition of the hush harbors um, in terms of the if, if there's any kind of way in which we can talk about the U.S. as being anything like democratic or moving, having ideals like justice or anything like that. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right. I want I'm definitely going to come back to that. I got, I got some questions around that as well. Uh, let me get to Terrence. So uh, what about, what about yourself? Yeah, for me, this was really about trying to practice Sankofa um, and reconnect and hopefully call others to root themselves in I, what I think is one of the most beautiful expressions of the faith that's ever um, graced the planet. And there's a poet that says, uh, love is remembering the song in someone's heart and, and singing it to them when they've forgotten it. And I think in many ways over the years, the black church as it became an institutional, um, uh, an institutional site, it lost the wildness, the free freedom, the, the, the disruptive nature of what it was in the hush harbors. Um, and I think the hush harbors just really, I think they give us, they give us sobriety. I think there's a way that, um, you know, some of us who got it a little bit better than some of our kin folks can sort of fall prey to the illusions, the lies, the myths about this empire and what it means to come up and I think when you go back to the hush harbors and you gaze upon enslaved Africans in the womb of the night, encountering this liberating presence of God, um, and think about like what were their dreams, what were, what was the world that they were trying to work for, I come to the conclusion that their wildest dream was not predatory inclusion in this settler colonial empire. Mm. Um, their wildest dream was either escape to a new world or the destruction of the world that was. And so I think it calls us back, it calls us away from these myths and ideas that we can tweak the system and it calls us to something more radical and it gives us the spirituality, um, the, the communal practices that I think can undergird that type of work. Yeah. All right. So this is good. So this is good. So how then... Because what y'all are talking about in this this book, and I love that there's different perspectives. I I always tell my students, man, I am a junkie for uh, readers. I love readers just because um, you can just get so many perspectives, and you can just pick up on so many things. You can hear, like, especially you know, if you're trying to do an anthology of a of a particular subject, you can you will kind of get an overview in one package. Um, and I appreciate it, you know, kind of uh, when you talked about the eight marks, the six communities. Um, what are some of the components of this? Let's say you have somebody listening now. So I got I got a variety of listeners on 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 this show. Um, and the first group, I will say, let me ask some questions for them. They are like folks who are in church doing work, whether they're lay, whether they're, um, you know, ordained uh, or bishop you know, or a deacon, you know, any they're doing they're in there, but they're still struggling with this idea and notion. They know that there's something else out there you know how does this book apply to them how would they um begin to put this into especially when you think about kind of the the industry if you will um y'all mentioned it briefly you know in, in in terms of the industrial complex of christianity or christian culture right you know everybody's charging something for something um 
and I'm not and I'm not knocking that. I'm I'm an author too, so I'm just like, shoot, uh, yeah, I'll sell my book. But I can also see where folks can say, oh, is this the next great thing, or how do we how does that begin to connect with folks who are out there in churches? So how how would this speak to them in 2022? Anybody can start that off. <laughs> I guess I'll go. Um, I think that it offers just a wildly different vision of um, what it means to be the church, to do church. I think so often our churches are more animated by, you know, consumer market capitalist principles than they are by the liberating spirit of God. And I think folks ache and long for something other than that. Um, But you look around at church planning models, networks, you look around at, you know, who's who within the uh, Christian, as you said, industrial complex. And it seems to always point to a certain way of being a certain way of positioning oneself. And I think when, when you're surrounded by um, all these anemic examples, it, it's, it becomes hard to even imagine something different. And I think these marks at least offer an entry point um, and they may kind of like affirm um, uh, longings in folks' hearts and, and give them just some breadcrumbs, a trail that they could follow and, and walk into something different from than what we're, we're generally seeing. So that's the way I would kind of um, respond to it. Okay, okay. Nikki uh, Brandon. <laughs> Go, Brandon. Right there, right. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I resonate with so much of what Terrence said, and I think that, um, uh, here, here's what it boils down to for the folks that like, I, like, I have some overlap with the audience, that audience that you're talking about, Doctor D, and like what I see in my local community of folks who are going to, let's say, black churches that are sort of mainline black churches, or maybe they're going to you know, um, uh, multiracial sort of, uh, sort of, uh, mainline churches or, or, uh, church plants like new churches. But, but like for, for them, what I hear from them is that like, this is a, this is a place where like I can, you know, take for the black, black church, for example, where like, I, I can see music that is familiar to me, you know, like the, the, the preaching style is something that I, that, that resonates with me. But when it comes down to, um, connecting my church life to my activism on the front lines and even behind the scenes in terms of, you know, uh, uh, you know, fighting for black lives in my local community. I don't really know how to make that connection. It feels like there is a departure mm-hmm. um, or, you know, let's say that, the, you know, the scenarios around sort of multiracial or white uh, churches um, that, that sort of maybe call themselves progressive. It's the same kind of thing. It's like, you know, uh, like I'm here and we, we might be queer affirming at this church, but like, um, are we fighting for black trans women in our community in terms of the ways in which they're mistreated? Um, you know, in terms of the movement for black lives, you know, here, here locally, th- there's a departure, there's a disconnect, there's a gap there. And this book really speaks to people who are hungering for a way to, to both 
be involved in the work of justice and healing and resistance in your local community and even beyond your local community, and to do that inspired by a prophetic revolutionary faith Mm. that is connected to black people, that is connected to black people that called in people who were not black into that faith tradition and held them accountable to a different way. And I think that people are longing for that. And so I just want to echo what my brother Terrence is saying. And I, and this book is, I think, again, provides an entry point, plants the seeds to be able to begin to imagine a different way of gathering um, so that you don't feel like when you show up on Sunday, if Sunday is even the sort of quote unquote right way to do church, that when you show up that like you, you're not checking your whole body you're not checking your history. You're not checking your 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 values and commitments at the door. Mm, mm, yeah. And what I'll add to that, um, I I've said before, I don't believe that this book is for a person. I believe it's for people. Um, and as we even look at the biblical text, they were written to communities of faith, communities of people who are forming their identity, trying to find empowerment, trying to be reminded of the the work of God. Um, that was asked and required of them. I would say that this book attempts to do the same, where it speaks to um, groups of people who are trying to be church, even if they've left church. Mm. <laughs> um, so that that is my entry point. So I know you spoke to a specific audience, but I speak for the folks who um, who are looking for the remnant. Like we see that church at large, this complex that y'all referred to, um, they're not quite getting it. And sometimes it's a willful ignorance is sometimes a willful ignorance. And so we can have the most persuasive of arguments and still business as usual will always be beautiful and um, tempting to them, right? And so there are some folks who are looking for um, the remnant who are actually still about loving what God loves, <laughs> which is the people of God, and, and doing what God has required of us, which is uh, being the hands and feet, um, setting the captive free, doing that liberatory work. And so for the folks who aren't trying to think of that or for the folks who have become overwhelmed and are thinking, how might this be? I often say that this work might be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than us. Mm. So I, it's not bigger than us. And so I believe that this book is that reminder. It's that call. It's that singing that song back, back to uh, people who have forgotten as Terrence was referring to, to remind us that no one is coming to save us. <laughs> like we all we got yeah. when it comes to <laughs> we all we got. And so there's uh, we we wait for the second coming of Christ. <laughs> that that is beautiful and well, but still like we we're going to be called up and come back down. And this is the earth that'll be the new earth. Right. And so when we're saying what does it look like to make this place habitable, justice-filled, not wait for the sweet by and by, but see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I think this book is for those folks. I like, I love it. I love that you talked a little bit about, you know, this being a broader audience, since that's a good reminder that, 
you know, the Bible is written to a community rather than just to, you know, to one person. That's good. Um, well, so let me let me take it to another level. And I ask these questions only because I think this book applies. And this is this is a really great conversation. So let me ask this, because I'm sure you all have come across folks, uh, especially in our communities and the black communities where, you know, folks who are just like, man, Christianity is a white man's religion, man, I shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, we're, we're being polluted by that. I remember I was teaching a class on African-American uh, culture, popular culture, uh, and one student of mine was just like, yo, man, everything's just made up in the Bible, man, and it's just the white man trying to, you know, trying to brainwash us into being more docile, what we need to do, and, you know, all this stuff. So I'd be curious, like, you know, it's been a growing number of, of, of folks, I think about some of the folks just even in BLM. I think about folks here, either in uh, Chicago where I'm at, um, or the Twin Cities, you know, who are in the BLM movement or different facets of it. Um, you know, whether you're, you know, sexual reproductive rights, you know, looking at advocacy for LGBTQ youth, uh, advocacy in the um, prison industrial complex here. You know, a, a lot of them, you know, claim atheism, Gnosticism, humanism, um, but so many of them come from a church background right especially in the black community um how do y'all navigate some of those questions how do y'all engage with that what does what does that look like for for any of y'all brandon i i can start with y'all i can call y'all a little bit and then we can keep moving down the road yeah that's such a good question <clears throat> here's what i'll say i think the skinny of it is this what if jesus was actually a poor afro-asiatic jew that was a version of an atheist in his day. In other words, calling out the false gods of his day that were on the side of the oppressor, that was on the side of the those who were exploiting those on the margins. Mm. That he and that in a sense he was um, a kind of prophetic atheist. I wonder, or prophetic agnostic, right? Like, I, I, I wonder, like, what, how might that change people's view, folks that are finding themselves grappling with the question of faith? How might that, um, how might you enter that conversation with that Jesus? And, and really, that's, that, that, that's the Jesus that we are talking to in this book. And, um, you know, a Jesus that is seeking to, um, to really, uh, pull down the idols, the, 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 the deception, the lies, the myths that um, the church industrial complex, white Christianity, whatever you want to call it, has proliferated across the globe and in these United, yet to be United States, for many, many, many decades and, and generations. And so I think that those folks I, should, should give a listen to this questioning Jesus and folks like us who are his companions are also asking tough questions about, um, about the origins of the faith. All right. All right. Um, Terrence, what about yourself? Yeah, I think, it's important for those of us who remain rooted um, in this tradition um, that we do the soul work that's necessary 
so that as we engage our kinfolk, we're not engaging them from a posture of defensiveness. I think too often we are indoctrinated, schooled um, in church spaces that basically foster this spiritual insecurity. And the moment someone calls into question something that's valid, um, we go into defense mode. And then you have this you know, whole apologetics industry um, that for me is, is very, very problematic. Um, that's really about having answers for everything. And I think so often what our kinfolk need is not answers per se, but they need encounter. And so what would it look like for the church to be a place of encounter, uh, to be a force of liberation, um, to where like, yeah, I might not rock with that Jesus thing, but the, what y'all got going on in my community is clearly um, pushing us towards freedom. It's clearly working towards flourishing. And so I'm seeing something here. I'm encountering something here that's drawing me in. And so I think that's a large part of the work, um, not trying to give all the answers, but bearing witness in such a way that um, folk would say, at least have to say, okay, there must be a couple different versions of this Christianity thing. And I always like to say there have always been two dueling forms of Christianity, the Christianity of uh, um, colonizers of, and then the Christianity of folks like Harriet Tubman, of Sojourner Truth, um, Martin King, Fannie Lou Hamer. And so us rooting ourselves in that form of Christianity um, and just bearing witness and letting the fruit of that um, almost be making revolution irresistible. I like that. I like that. All right. All right. Minikio, what, uh, what you got? Listen, I don't know if there's anything that I can add to what my brothers have shared. Um, that that piece that Terrence was mentioning about the defensiveness um, that we often see when, if we're honest with ourselves, we have, we should have some of the same questions that are being posed to us. Right. Um, and if we aren't, we're being dishonest, haven't fully done the work of investigating and seeing if our, our faith, um, is fully, fully formed. Um, and so I always appreciate, and I invite those questions. If I don't have the answers, I'm like, let's figure it out together. And I am okay with saying that I don't know. Um, because the questions about white man's religion, about how Christianity is the faith of the colonizer, those have been questions that I've had to ask myself. But then, as was said, I've, I've had to say, that's not the faith that I've been practicing. That's not the faith of my grandmother. That's not the faith of my great-grandmother. And they knew a Jesus um, that kept them, that is still keeping me. And how do I come to encounter that Christ and, and show, show that Christ? And so that's what I hope to live into, letting the ancestors guide me and lead me closer, not just to the cross, but to the life, to the, the life of Christ and living that out fully. That's what's up. Hey, Shana, listen, you better say that. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. Well, this is I, no. This is why I wanted to ask the question, and this is this is good because, um, you know, it's easy to get swept up in 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 the madness of what where we find ourselves today. And I mean, and I, you know, it's I myself. It's personally easy to you know look at media and think, oh my gosh. I mean, we are in a, in a definitely in a time. Uh, right now in an era, but I think as black folks, we've always 
we've always had that era coming, right? I mean, it's like, it, it, at least here in, in North America, you know, looking at, at our history, obviously, you know, our history spans way much broader and deeper and complex than just what has been happening in here in the U.S. Um, I guess my next question would be, how then do we begin to implement this? I always say, like, the solutions for today have already been are already been laid out. Folks have chosen not to do it. It's like, you know, you think about poverty and, you know, homelessness and stuff. It's like, well, people have been talking about this stuff for 50 years, half a century of, or more, you know, in, in regards to this and whatnot. And what y'all lay out here is powerful material. How does... and and is this, I mean, like you said, you know, it's for the community and whatnot, but how does, for example, another group, another demographic of folks who's like, look, I'm white, I'm in a church, what do I do? Uh, um, I'm kind of late to the game. I just woke up in 2016 when all this stuff started popping off, or maybe George Floyd was it for them. I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, how... Where does where, where might this fit? What are what are some some words of encouragement or not um, in in regards to this in to, in regards to faith liberating church? Brandon, let me start with you. Ooh, I, there, there's two things there. I think I want to what I want to say to white folks is um, who were your people before they chose to become white? Um, and I think that there's a whole lineage of revolutionaries and freedom fighters who um, broke rank from the white supremacist church industrial complex to join in with the black prophetic tradition throughout the ages. And I think there are like white folks have to find their way to that lineage and they have to reckon with the real um, the real. Um, uh, carnage that their their own biological ancestry um, uh, has reaped upon black people, the planet, brown people, native people, etc. So I think that like that that is a, that is a real thing. Um, and uh, white folks aren't without um, uh, uh, their own kind of prophetic lineage, and I think they have to do that hard work. I think that for the question around implementation. Here's what I'll say, and I'll keep it brief, and I want to hear from my, my, my brother and my sister here. We wrote this book to be a kind of, part of the reason why we use the language of manifesto is that we, we wanted this to be the kind of book that you could return to. There are prayers, songs, litanies, poetry. There are reflection questions for each chapter. I love that Vanikia brought up that to do this with someone else within a group, within a community. I think that there's not uh, a sort of, I mean, part of the way white supremacy works is, is a kind of um, sort of packaged uh, sort of franchise deal. That's not what this is. This is a work of deep discernment, a work of deep reflection, and a work of deep agitation to experiment, to take the risk that that is necessary in order to change. So I think that folks can listen to these stories, can be in conversation around these questions, can use the litanies, the prayers, the poetry, the songs that are in here to begin to whet their appetite around what it means to implement um, a liberating church presence in their own congregations, or if they're not a part of a congregation, within their own sort of affinity group or within their activist group, or just within their own personal devotion. 
I think all are true. Um, there is enough, there is so much in here. Um, and, and last thing I'll say is that one of the reasons why we decided to do um, ethnographic research at six um, Black-centered faith communities is precisely for this reason. We didn't want to just talk about um, the past in terms of the hush harbors. Um, we wanted to reflect on how the lessons and wisdom of the hush harbors speak to the present moment and to look at how contemporary Black-centered faith communities that are involved in their neighborhoods and communities and parishes are living out these marks. And so there's so much there for folks to be able to take and to begin to take one step and then the next step um, to begin to implement this. Mm. Vinikia, go with you. <laughs> I say this very respectfully, but with my full chest. I no longer speak to white people about their things. Yeah. I just yeah. don't. I do not. And so um I I believe that as I'm speaking to my my kinfolk and I'm saying what needs to be said as we're learning these things, if uh white folks happen to overhear and are blessed and glean something that happens to bless them. I am very, very glad. And I, I hope they do the work of um, discerning, discipling, being deeper engaged within uh, true faith tradition. But uh, the, the work of that, <laughs> that was 2012 for me. I'm a little bit past that. But yeah. I, I do want to hear what Terrence has to say, but that's my piece. No, 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 that's real. That's real. I have said on the show a whole bunch that that I am past so many conversations about, like you said, 2012 was, that's a good date. That's a good time. That's a, you know, it's just kind of like, all right, the Mayans had it right. It was like, okay, that was the ending around that time. Cause it was just like, yeah, right. I feel like we're recirculating. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're recirculating. I taught, I'll just call it out. I taught at Azusa Pacific university in on the West coast. And man, that was a horrible time for me as a black man teaching intercultural communication, because it was just like one white person after the next. It was like a you know a factory assembly, and they and they all were programmed with the same thing. Well, why do we need to learn about this? Why? And I'm just like, yo, I'm done. I'm done. Y'all have the same argument, same response, same feedback. I'm done. So I respect that. Thank you for thank you for saying yeah, that. Yeah, like like you said, there's nothing that hasn't been said. Um, and so yeah, I totally get that. Terrence, what about you? Yeah, I would just echo the words of ancestor Kwame Ture, um, formerly known as Stokely Carmichael, that white folks have to go where the problem is most manifest. Where's the problem most manifest? It ain't the black community. The problem is most manifest in their own circles. And since we're talking about white Christians, uh, y'all need to um, get in these spaces and do the hard work of confronting, challenging, uh, repenting, reorienting um, these institutions towards um, some semblance of justice. So that that would be my brief words um, to white folks. Um, and then in terms of implementation, I'm reminded of how um, I've heard some indigenous theologians, natives um, to this land talk about uh, you know, this idea of missions, which, you know, the whole framing of missions is something that should be called into question as basically a co colonial. Yes. Um, inherently. Yes. Colonial. Um, 
but this idea of the potted plant um, coming to a community with the potted plant um, and sticking it in the soil of the community, um, basically a prepackaged thing versus the harder work of planting seed in the soil where you were bearing witness and allowing that uh, to be watered um, and to blossom and bloom in the unique ways it's got to be watered and cared for to blossom and bloom in that space. In other words, I think this book is maybe a tiller uh, to use some farming analogies to break up that fallow ground. Um, it's a tool to help you cultivate the soil, the conditions for community. Um, and I think, you know, we just got folks got to find their people and build. You don't need no church building. You got a house, got an apartment, wherever you are, just start finding your people and building, praying, trusting that the living God is with you. Um, and just watching um, that fruit um, come to fruition just from doing community and life and seeking to be faithful to this justice calling that we have. Man. I love that. I need to hang around y'all some more. I um I I I'm a definitely a glasses half empty kind of cat, so I need to hang be hanging around folks uh, like y'all. Um, this is good. So let me. All right. Well, let me take it a step further with this. Um, in regards to liberating church, we think about okay. You know, we've all read the the stats, right? Either from PRRI, Pew, American, you know, a religious identification survey, you know, all of them, at least at, at that level, have pointed to a major shift, right, in Christianity here in North America. Now, we know there's exuberant growth in Latin America. We know there's exuberant growth in different parts of, you know, Africa in terms of what that growth looks like. And is it colonized? That's a whole nother conversation right on that one. Um, but I'm curious, like here now, like, where do we see ourselves with some, you know, with some churches closing? I'm in I'm in higher education. You know, I teach at a private Christian university, which, you know, I'm currently trying to if y'all know, you know, you spot, you know, brothers on the market. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, but, you know, so many Christian universities uh, have closed are on the verge of closing. Um, and folks, you know, and, and, you know, it's like I, I, I still get reports from, you know, Barna and whatnot. And so it's very fascinating to kind of see how they're crafting if you will and spinning this is like well we just need to go reach this generation this way and oh the pandemic provided a way for us to use tiktok to to use but i feel like that's just so gimmicky it's like fake folks who want me to come out and speak on hip-hop in the youth and i'm just i'm always just like um no no like what have you been doing with hip-hop this whole time like why do you want to just have hip-hop in the youth like what you know this isn't the carnival but so much of it has turned into that and so where do y'all see the church going? It's 2022, right? James Webb telescope out there. It's allegedly able to detect life on other planets. We're seeing these marvelous things. We're going to Mars and all that. And at the same time, we're dealing with, you know, some extreme racism, extreme issues of equity, extreme issues of, of, of you know, of the police state you know, of black bodies, you know, we know, you know, we all of us see, right, you know, mass shooters go and kill people and they get to, you know, have their day in court. Whereas, you know, a white officer thinks this other person had a, a gun and they shoot him 60 times. Um, what, what is the future of the church as we're, as we're thinking about it, man? Is it, is it, does it, obviously it needs to transform. I think this book provides part of that, but we all know, you know, we've been talking about some of this stuff like, hey, change, hey, change, hey, change. Is it just something that we as black folks just need to do and embrace? 
I'm talking too much. Let me let me put it back out there. Brandon, again, I'll come I'll come back to you. Let me let me start with you on this one. <clears throat> yeah, man. Where's the church for the future? I mean, yeah, man. Like this is this is so relevant. Um, so relevant of a question for me personally and for for so many folks that I engage with. Here's what I'll say. I spend most of my day, my days, I my my full-time job is as a community organizer. And I spend most of my time being being on the doors and being in conversation with ordinary working class black people um, who are grappling with um, who are standing between a rock and a hard place. And what's really interesting about talking to these folks is that they they car carrying members of the local whatever Baptist or AME Zion or whatever church, right? Yeah. But when I get underneath what is really going on with them, the kind of the ways in which theology functions as a kind of or faith statements function as a kind of coping mechanism for them. When I get underneath that, they're they're struggling with a lot of despair, actually. Um, and part of the work of organizing is helping people to believe that change is really possible. And that I love what Benicia said earlier, it's not someone else who's coming to save us, is that we actually have the power when we are united with our people to really demand the kind of changes and transformation that we deserve. And what that means is that we have to take the kind of risks in our everyday lives to break rank with our bosses, break rank with our bishops, break rank with so many of the um, gatekeepers of the status quo that would keep us in despair, keep us using faith and theology to basically numb our pain, to numb and to stifle our imagination. So for me, it really boils down to like, and this I think this is uniquely for the way that I move in the world. For me, I see church in the future as the people coming together and uniting and organizing and building the kind of um, sort of disciplines and um, uh, the kind of cultivating the kind of values and beliefs that actually make change feel, I love what my brother Terrence said, irresistible, that it makes it irresistible to those around us. I think that if churches can't find ways to be involved and connected to the work of organizing, radical organizing in the local community, what are they good for? And I do think that it's possible, that it is happening. And it's social movements that are often at the forefront of connecting with those people in our local communities who are either completely disconnected from churches or they are connected, but they're using faith as a way to um, numb um, as a kind of as a kind of um, drug for what um, they're they're really trying to conceal. And it's organizers and activists and healers in our local communities that are doing the hard work the beautiful work, the joyful work of calling people out of those spaces to really say, you know what, something better is possible and we're actually going to put ourselves on the line to actually build that. To me, that's church. That happens on our back porches. That happens on our streets. 
that happens at city council, that happens in our parks, that happens on the block. And to the extent that the church wants to continue to be relevant, they have to find ways. And I think that part of what the pandemic has done is force churches to be less um, captive to their buildings and to their preachers for us to actually open up our eyes to the ways in which this is happening in remnants, to use the language of my sister Vanikia, this is happening all around us. We have to find ways to follow the leadership of those folks who are doing that work. Mm. All right. Shit. All right. Come on with it. Um, all right, Vanikia, let me, let me, let me come to you. What, what, uh, what, uh, what word you got? Let's see. Let's see. I will start by saying it is not impossible, but it's almost arrogant to say that we can fully quantify what it is that the spirit is doing. And so I'm thankful for these institutes and their research, but to say that the spirit isn't at work um, and that God isn't moving, that people aren't um, people of faith because they can't see it. It doesn't look the same as it did even 50 years ago. There's a sort of arrogance to that that I think we need to name. Um, I'm speaking as a person who even pre-pandemic um, left the actual church building uh, in 2019. And I haven't been in a church building uh, to do Sunday worship, but I've done church with people like Brandon was saying, on the block, in the streets, at brunch, <laughs> we've done church. And I feel like there are folks who are doing that that never get asked by Pew and like these other folks what they're actually doing. So what does the church look like in the future? I, I think about something that we talk about within our books, uh, within our book, which is being hidden in plain sight. There are certain um, ways in which the Hush Harbor isn't supposed to be visible to everybody. They aren't supposed to be able to say, we know exactly what it is that you're doing. Uh, there's a, a calling into, because you're in community, that's being done. And I think that folks are doing that. Um, it happens within organizing spaces all the time where I show up and because I am a person of faith, I bring that with me. Not because, you know, I came with a bloodstained banner and, <laughs> and shouting and going on, but because they know that there's something that deeply uh, grounds me and they have questions and there's an opportunity to say, here's what, even in the face of despair, keeps hope alive in me. I'm actually chained to hope as uh, Martin King was saying, where it's this unshakable thing. And when given the opportunity within these space and spaces, within these comments, I, I think there's also um, something to be said about that, restoring the commons, these spaces that people can meet, um, repurposing the church buildings, not closing them off to the community, but inviting them in. That that would be what I see the church doing um, in order to actually uh, maintain the church, I would say. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right. All right, Terrence, what, what, what you got on this? This is, this is, this is good. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. I, I want to start by saying in the future, we will still have Chris, Christo fascist expressions of the church. Um, that will still be around. We will still um, have uh, black folks who are white Christians. Um, 
guiding and leading folks astray and away from God's liberatory work. Um, but I think the plot twist in all of this is that there will be prodigals, so-called prodigals that return, um, but they won't set foot uh, on the doorsteps or the vestibule or the sanctuary of our church buildings um, that as Venikia and Brandon have described, they will um, set foot um, in their communities, um, in their living rooms, uh, at protests and organizing spaces, at community gardens. And those spaces will be the places where God is at work and the church is on the move. I think um, in the future, it'll be more and more clear um, as some folks hold on to dear life um, of the institutional church, it'll be more and more clear that the, our church buildings aren't the fourth member of the Trinity. Um, because I think the sustainability of so many of these churches has been threatened in ways that I don't think folks really imagine. And I don't think a lot of folks are really grappling with um, the pandemic itself has seen, I, I think it's exasperated the rate at which um, church plants are going under. Um, dying churches are, are breathing that last um, breath. Um, I think it's exposing all those things. And so there, there will be those that continue to, you know, secure the bag and, and have their, you know, uh, smoke and light shows on Sunday and cult of personality. I think those things will still be around. We'll still have Christo-fascist churches, but I think there'll be more and more of these uh, hidden in plain sight communities, these spiritual communities rooted in um, the liberation of Jesus. And, and I think those will be the spaces that, um, yeah, that we see the healing bomb that our communities need um, cultivated. Mm. Well, I mean, this is a great word. I mean, because I think it, it, it again, if you know, if one just listens to mere headlines and 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 dang, you know, help the person who 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 only goes to social media uh, uh, to to uh, you know to look at things and never goes beyond that, uh, you know, it's easy just to fall down that 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 rabbit trail. Um, so this is interesting. I mean, as you know, as we begin to have this conversation around, you know, spirituality, um, I love Terrence, even in your chapter, um, you talked about, where was it at? Was it the, the stay woke one, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Stay woke. Um, you talking about, um, I often goes back to Thurman, uh, Jesus and the disinherited, um, in regards to where we find ourselves. And I think, it's it, it, I think especially with the way Christianity has been presented here in the United States, I think it's easy to get caught up in the well, once I'm a Christian, now I should be okay and and now I should be better off and now I should be um and y'all talk about this, right? That you know, that 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 or I'm forgetting who it was at the beginning who was in, in the foreword, um, you know, talked a little bit about just, you know, so so many folks who are who are looking to churches, you know, kind of this name it and claim it type of thing and you know, what is it, what is it going to get for me rather than what, you know, the broader, you know, components of this. Um, as we think about this in, in moving forward and in, in, in regards to just life and where we find ourselves, man, what, what are some, some, what are some, some takeaways and, and, you know, that folks should, how, how should somebody, 
internalize this text here. It's not, you know, it's not long. It's quick. It's an easy read. There's a lot of content in there. It's thick. Um, you know, it's not one of them 400 page books and whatnot. But how should folks, someone, you know, someone approach this? Um, and, and, and I guess maybe even just who did y'all have in mind as you were writing? I guess, Brandon, I could start with you again. Yeah, that's a good question. I want to read straight from the book because we haven't really read any quotes here. I want to read straight from the book here on this. Um, here's what we say. Liberating Church of 21st Century Hush Harbor Manifesto is written as a tool for ministry leaders and faith-rooted activists, those with formal education and those trained by the wisdom of struggling in the streets. We write this book first for the Black diaspora, specifically to Black gender queer folk, Black church wanderers, and we put in parentheses what we mean by that, those whose culture is the Black church, but who no longer find that space as home. Then we go on to say Black activists, organizers, and social entrepreneurs, Black church planters, and Black evangelicals or ex-evangelicals. And then we go on to say we also write more broadly to all activists, faith leaders, church planters, practical theologians, religious educators, and everyday neighborhood leaders who care about building a better world and believe churches should help midwife that world. So I think that what I encounter on an everyday basis are people who are fed up with the way things are. Yeah. And if you give the space and patience and time and ear to listen, they are people who know what the problem is and have ideas for the solution. Those are the people who we write this book to. And we're writing to say that faith, prophetic faith, liberationist faith, revolutionary faith, who, who one sight one critical, important, monumental site of that kind of faith in this country's history is the Hush Harbors has a lot to offer to us for a way forward. And I think that the Hush Harbors, in my experience, I, you know, I, I was a religion major in undergrad at a secular university. I studied the Hush Harbors, but I studied it as history. In other words, the church, the institutional church, sort of pays homage to the Hush Harbors, but it's like we needed to move on to something more sort of um, respectable, institutionalized, you know, something that had more money, more prestige, et cetera. And part of what we're saying in this book is that what it means to be church is to remain at the level of human connection, mm. of real connection where we actually agitate and hold each other accountable to the kind of future that we all know deep, deep down that God longs for in the world and that we know we deserve. Oof. Oof. Uh, yeah, well, anybody care to add? Terrence, Venikia, any, any, either one of y'all want to chime in, add in on any of that? I'm just going to say Ashe and Amen. I think this book is an ancestral invitation. I'm thinking about 
the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus sits down with um, important ancestors. And it's my hope, um, specifically for Black folks, that as they turn the pages of this book, it would be like sitting down um, with Harriet, sitting down with Nat, sitting down with Denmark Vesey, sitting down with Sojourner, um, and sitting down with Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and something powerful being illuminated uh, that when they walk back down that mountain and mountain and have to have to face this demonic empire, this demonically sick empire, they have a power um, and revolutionary love coursing through their veins that can't be contained um, and that is infectious um, to the folks that they're around. Um, and that that infection just grows. Um, and to switch the metaphor, it heals um, all that, that stands in the way of justice, um, liberation, and beloved community. All right, let me ask y'all something real quick here. Let me, um, this is, this, this hit me as I was looking at this and, and um, reading the North Star chapter. I love how y'all connect with that and, you know, enslaved folks escaping using that as navigation its location in the you know in the stars and whatnot but what does this is going to sound rhetorical but stay with me what does justice look like in 2022 um when you think about just how much the voting rights act has been gutted and you think about where they are i mean i'm i i, I is there a a space for what it, well let me ask it this way what did the means of revolution, what the components look like? Like I get protesting, I get marching, I get signing petitions, I get, you know, talking with Congress people about things. Is there a space then for people to take up arms and say enough is enough. This shit has gone too far. Um, and I say that in light of, you know, just, you know, slave revolts. Um, uh, you, know, you think about the Stephen Civil War, even though that was less about you know trying to free black folk. Uh, but you know, I think about you know some of these encounters and whatnot, and and uh, and, and what that looks like. But I'd be curious to hear y'all thought, and I'm genuinely asking, just genuinely asking. This is not a smart ass. It's not a. Uh, <laughs> a uh, I was on a podcast once for my book, and I could just tell the there was they were two white uh, uh, hosts and co-hosts, and I was just like, they're just they, they would just ask me questions like they're just trying to you know jam me up. That is definitely <laughs> not the case here. I am I ask a lot of my guests these questions, and I, I'd just be curious what y'all y'all thoughts are on that, especially with the work that y'all doing right now. Hopefully that makes sense. That was a long-winded thing. Let me just say, the feds be watching. So what I will say, yeah, <laughs> what I will say, um, the things that are required, some view as violence, but all the things that you just mentioned are only a response to the violence that our folks have encountered for centuries. Um, so as we talk, about the history of revolts, as we talk about the history of overthrow, um, demolishing demonic structures, that's the only way that we can truly see justice. There is no, as Terrence said, tweaking um, and reforming this system. Um, so this needs to sunset so we can have a more beautiful sunrise. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. Okay. I'm happy to jump in and then tell I'm super eager to hear what you got to say, bro. Here's what I'll say about the book on the book front around the question of 
armed struggle violence, we don't shy away or ignore or silence the fact that part of the history, part of the tradition of the Hush Harbors are the Nat Turners, are the Harriet Tubmans, right? Are the Denmark VCs, these folks who made a choice to take up arms. Again, I love what Benigia said, not as an initial act of violence, right? We aren't violent people. That's important for us to say here. We aren't violent people, right? We are militant people who are committed to a transformative struggle that brings about a beloved love revolution in the future. But we can't even talk about violence if we don't want to talk about the kind of violence that white people, that America has um, persisted for generations, right? We don't get into the details about sort of, I mean, part of what we sort of try to resist in this book is a kind of how-to book. It was more a book that is trying to provide wisdom for what has been and what communities are doing now so that people can discern for themselves the kind of decisions that they can make collectively in their communities. But we are anti-taking up arms for the work that transformation requires. And the reason why we're not anti that is because we're not anti our ancestors who chose to do that. Um, and so it's important for folks to know what is in the book itself. Hmm. Wow. Uh, I will say that there is a, a revolutionary ecosystem. And within that, there are those that have different lanes, different practices, different orientations, but together um, they function in a way that gets us to that new world that we need to create, that we need to see birth. And so as my comrades um, have already done, I affirm what our ancestors have done, even though it's been erased, um, even though we often think of the civil rights movement as this gunless <laughs> um, yeah. uh, affair. But when you just actually read the stories, uh, folk rode up on Martin's uh, crib and sat down on the couch and he was like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, there, there's, there's a gun up under there. Um, and I know Martin eventually you know, took a more um, strict form of pacifism in his relationship to guns. However, you had the deacons for self-defense. You had armed folk in front of Martin and Coretta's home after those bombings, making sure that they were okay and safe. And so we affirm that part of our struggle, that need to secure our communities and fight for our well-being. And then the last thing I'll say is that um, in terms of transformation, in terms of what justice looks like, I think it's, I think there, there's, there are two things that work at the same time. Um, in our traditions. One is the practice of freedom, of abolition in the day-to-day. -day. So how are you living in light of the fact that in one sense you are already free? Um, and, and how do we build communities that are practicing that freedom, practicing that abolition, practicing a world beyond punishing and practicing a world beyond white supremacy, queer and transphobia, practicing a world beyond capitalist principles, um, exploitation? How are we doing that? And in that practice, we are on the micro level, level building power, 
so that we can then in turn, um, I want to use the word destroy, <laughs> whatever mm. that, however, whatever that looks like, destroy the system that is. Um, but I think it, you can't destroy something if you're not already practicing what's going to come after it. Um, so one of my um, comrades would say that um, abolition is both the anchor and the horizon. Um, it's the practice, the daily practice and the promise. And so we have to, you know, as our ancestors did in the, 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 the spirituals, they would be singing about, in one sense, um, a world to come, but they sung it in such a way that it was also about how they were going to resist the world that is in that present moment. And I think we have to, we have to um, riff off of that in our work, um, especially in communities of faith. Wow. Well, this is great. Um, folks, just joining in of you, just uh, trying to figure out what's going on. We've been talking with the authors of uh, the new book, Liberating Church, a 21st century Hush Harbor manifesto. It's out now. And as always, we can I put the show in the show notes. The link is are, are in the show notes. Um, can you anyone want to just briefly just touch about voices? What's that's about? I mean, obviously, there's a, a breakdown here uh, what the voices project is. Uh, and connecting, and I, I've known a lot of people who've gone through that, but what is the importance of something like The Voices, um, and what does that represent, especially for authors of color? Yeah, you know, um, Voices provides an opportunity for partnership um, with um, uh, white-led uh, and, and more uh, prominent publishing houses um, for BIPOC authors to um, have a real chance to have their work and voice um, uh, published in those publishing houses. And so um, that's something we had the opportunity to do through Voices, the work of Leroy and Donna Barber, and we're grateful for the opportunity to, um, to publish through Cascade Books, which is an imprint of Whip and Stock. Cool. No, that's... I think I, I think that when I heard of the project and I thought it was great, I wish it was around when I first started writing, I, you know, navigating contracts, navigate. I mean, just finding time to write. I mean, it's it, it can be exhausting just trying to get an introduction uh, out, let alone trying to put a, a manuscript together, um, you know, with all the distractions, especially if you're a parent and just. Uh, you know, just trying to live life. I mean, there's 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 a lot that goes into that. So I'm I'm glad something like this is existing and 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 moving forward. Um, exactly. Let me let me just jump in real fast and just please, say also, please, please, please. You know, we we've had we've had we we we're grateful for voices, and we also want to acknowledge that one of the major partners that we had that gave us the opportunity to do exactly what you're saying, Dr. D, the 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 real spaciousness to be in conversation with one another as co as contributors and, and co-editors to have the opportunity to go and visit faith communities do to, to do eth ethnography was the Louisville Institute Louisville Institute that granted us that gave us a grant to be able to have the spaciousness for 2 years to really go deep around our own formation to celebrate our own witness um, in our local communities and to go and learn from other communities without that funding and support and encouragement from Louisville Institute and that network of like-minded clergy who are also asking deep questions about faith 
and 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 how to live that out in the public square, we wouldn't we wouldn't really you know liberating church wouldn't be in existence. I li- I love that. No, thank you, thank you for pointing that out. Now that's good. Grants are good, and that's a good use of money as opposed to uh, 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 other projects that some of these things you know folks have given to. Not Louisville, but other places. Um, any other thoughts, Vinicia, Terrence, in regards to the voices um, and uh, you know just writing and and whatnot, especially if somebody's listening and an aspiring writer right now. I just want to lift up and give thanks for, for not just my my friends on this call, but our other contributors to this work. Um, they've made writing with them a joy and a pleasure. Um, and I don't think I would want to do it any other different way. So uh, to the expi- aspiring writers out there, I would say find your people and see if it's something that you can go out together. And so I love that we did um, the work of practicing what we preach, where we did this work in community, let it shape us in community, and then put this out into the world for community. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I would just say it's been a, a deep honor to to work on this project um, and to explore this um, beautiful tradition and to write about it. And I would just say to folks that are aspiring writers, like it, it's still weird for me to like say, oh yeah, I'm, I guess I'm a published author now because this wasn't something I was seeking after, but being a part of this project afforded the opportunity. Um, and so I would just say, how was your pen? How was your gift in being used in service of those around you? Um, how are you doing this um, for the sake of love? And I think uh, the doors will open um, as you as you walk that out for the sake of the people. Too many times we we use our gifts uh, kind of in a campaign of self, um, but if it ain't about the people, I, it really ain't about nothing. So um, make your work for the people um, in, in in faithfulness to God. Wow, that's what's up. That's what's up. Again, uh, thank y'all so much for coming on. Um, where can folks find y'all? Um, again, I'll put all these things in the show notes along with the link uh, to the book, Liberating Church. Um, but Brandon, we'll start with you. Where can folks find you? Maybe they want to bring you out, you know, give you another grant. Maybe, you know, a couple hundred thousand, you know, to come and do some work in their area. <laughs> That's what's up, man. Yeah, we've got a website, www.liberatingchurch.com. So you can find more about the contributors, about the book, where it's being sold um, at that website. You could also go directly to the publisher, whippingstock.com. Um, you can go to Voices as well. Um, and yeah, like, you know, I'll, I'll leave it up to my comrades to talk about their personal social handles. I, um, you get, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm old school. I'm a, you, know, you can find me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ain't nothing wrong with but, that, you know. Yeah, you know. But the the real place to contact the crew that has written this beautiful offering to the church and to the world is to to, to check us out on Instagram, on Twitter, um, and on Facebook and our website. Um, and I'll I'll leave it up to uh, you know Vanika has done a, a tremendous job and so much around our social media presence. She's a um, design genius. And so I want to, um, you know, kick it over to her around the handles and that sort of thing. (laughs) All right. All right. Come on now. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. So on Facebook, it's Liberating Church. On Instagram, it's also at Liberating Church. 
On Twitter, we can be found at 21st Hush Harbor, 21ST Hush Harbor. Perfect. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Terrence, anything from you? No. Um, yeah. I guess I tweet every now and then <laughs> Terrence underscore tweets. That that's all I got. Just okay. go check out the Liberating Church um pages and um yeah, follow us there. I think that's the main place to drive for. All right. All right. Well, thank y'all so much for taking the time out. And coming and speaking about this, again, folks, go out and get this. Folks always ask me for resources. This is a huge one, uh, a very quick but very solid and dense read. Um, I love the work that y'all are doing here. So thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thanks so much, Dr. D. Good to be with my comrades, too. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you all. The Chapel Probation Podcast takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities, focusing initially on Azusa Pacific University, where I taught English for 15 years. I'm Scott Okamoto, and I'm writing a book about how I deconstructed from faith completely while at APU. This podcast, though, is my tribute to the students and other faculty who survived evangelical higher education. They faced ridiculous racism, sexism, anti-LGBTQ hatred, and all manner of bigotry. From the heartless evils of the prosperity gospel to the destructive pseudo-theology of purity culture, the stories will break your heart, but they will also inspire. These people faced bigotry and fought back. In a weird, kind of sick way, we went through some shit, but we formed identities and we formed communities through it all. I hope you will join us.